Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today I'm meeting with Eduardo uh, Ortiz Romeo. Um, I hope I pronounced it correctly. Uh, and Eduardo, I know you've been in the industry of cybersecurity for at least, uh, I don't know, I think more than a decade, uh, I would guess around 15 years now. Um, I think, you know, I know you had some experience uh, in, in the academia and you had some experience with working with large uh, companies as a, as a security architecture manager. Um, I know you've served on a couple of boards. Maybe if you, and, and I know right now that you're the global head of uh, service security at a company called uh, Tektronics Industry, TTI. So if you can mm -hmm. move in, introduce yourself, that would be excellent. Uh, thanks a lot, Ben, for having me here, and and I'm um, you know I'm glad to to share this insight with you. Not that I'm counting on the time, but it's been 24 years <laughs> um, mm -hmm. doing cyber. I mean, I have my my in betweens with my own business, but I never really left the cybersecurity aspect of it. Um, and we can talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, it's been 24 years. Uh, you know, this past July, um, I, I still remember my first day officially into a big company. Um, but, um, you know, a lot has happened since, you know, since the 90s and the internet bubble up to the to what we're doing now. So we, you know, I'm super happy to be here and, and more than, than willing to share my, my experience throughout these 20 some years. Thank you, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate you know you taking uh, some time and carving a portion of your calendar for uh, making this meeting happen today. And I know you mentioned, I think, in a previous call that uh, you have two daughters, I think, or just two kids. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm married, you know, and that's also 22 years in this case. <laughs> <laughs> um, the and I have two girls, uh, one senior in high school, which is already on the process of college hunting. And the other one, it's a sophomore, both uh, super swimmers. They love to swim and they keep me extremely busy. But mm. but that's probably the part, part of my day that I like the most. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you about that. And, and you know, you already answered one of my icebreaker questions, which was what's your marital, marital status? But uh, if you're willing to share the other one, uh, the answer to the other one, which is what's your favorite drink? I have, in that case, I have two, one for the morning and one for the, for at night, you know, coffee. I've been a coffee drinker probably since I was five years old. My grandma used to give me coffee with a lot of milk and sugar. Really? And five? Uh, yeah. Wow. That's hardcore. It was, yeah, I, I remember spending time in, in, you know, summertime in, in her apartment and she would give us, you know, mostly milk and sugar with some coffee, but, you know, kind of like I've been drinking it um for a long time and then single malt i know you you're a single malt lover so yeah. i like all regions you know depending on the day mostly space side nowadays um I, of course i started with highlands and 
when you know as an introductory single malt phase. Um, but I, I do love a lot of Islays with my brother-in-law. He's he's a Islay crazy guy. So I, I do love the three regions. And Lowlands, you know, kind of like it's a little bit of a, a mix, but mm-hmm. um, focus on those three regions. Single malts are my, my choice to go. Got it. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, as long as I'm, I'm assuming coffee is the morning drink and single malt is the evening drink. Otherwise, uh but yeah, anyway, I'm not judging whatever the, the answer is. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank you again. And I think as I mentioned before, you know, the, the, the purpose of this podcast is basically to share some experience and educate uh, the listeners out there and, you know, uh, you know, providing some insights, some nuggets of information that would potentially benefit anyone out there who's, who, who's been having a challenge or was, you know, looking into doing something either either something else or into expanding their own cybersecurity career. Uh, and for that, I'll just run through, you know, a series of like questions and this will be, you know, basically an eye level conversation. So just feel free to, you know, feel at ease. I'm not going to grill you. I'm not going to ask you anything in particular about your company. That's not what I'm interested in. And I'm interested in, you know, your journey and your path to where you are right now. Uh, and with that, I guess we can get started. If there's one thing you wish you had known before you began your career, what would that be? Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, looking back, uh, and I kind of like fall into this, uh, probably after my first pause in cybersecurity was to learn the business side of, of this entire security equation. You know, when I started in the 90s, it was extremely technical. You know, everything, you know, there were no CISOs, for example. There were no, you know, you get a manager, but that was about it. You know, everything funnels through the CIO at that time. Um, so business come first. It's something that 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 I learned when I had my own business and kind of like helped me shift um, the, through my, you know, second life in cybersecurity that, IT and security usually are second place to the business. So learning to think and come up with solutions that will enhance the business and most of the time are generated from the end users themselves will have saved me a lot of headaches during probably the first 10 to 15 years of my career. Because when I started, that technical mentality was ingrained and, and it took me a while to get out to the business side. Yeah, and and I like what you said about uh, you know business comes first, but you know one can argue these days that uh, I mean IT and cybersecurity are so ingrained into the business, and sometimes you can't really do business without having you know a good enough foundation and solution, especially now with cloud uh, environments and everything is like you know could be built in a second but then you need to make sure that it's secure because otherwise you'll go out of business so i i really feel that uh maybe for the younger companies out there i think really cybersecurity it and business go going hand in hand and obviously you know you need to make sure that it's all very safe and secure for you to be able to do business because obviously once you start doing business you want to you know stay in business yeah. um yep yeah, well, thanks for that. What would you say your biggest failure was? Um, uh, in cyber, this might not be cyber related, but I, 
I looking back now is was is not knowing much about finance at a younger stage in my career. Like I wanted to push solutions. No, but this is the right solution because this is what is going to reduce the risk this much. But in reality, the business it, it goes back to the business. You know, we were talking different languages, and and you know, it it applies not only to cyber but only also in the personal side. Like for example, some. You know, it's, it's an advice for a lot of listeners out there. You know, I did not take my retirement planning seriously in my 20s, right? And looking back now, I was I I, I regret not having that knowledge at that age. You know, and and I think in general, and I I try to tell this to to my different teams is knowing finance will help you at any stage of your life in both personal and business related. Um, I think it's probably. It took me a while, and I'm still reading finance books at, at this day just to learn more. I, I think, it, you know, I was very technical and forgot about that aspect of, of, of life. I, I think for me, I see it as a failure because right now it will have saved me so much time and headaches and how to organize, you know, get ready for college, get ready for a lot of different things in life, even retirement, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I think... Not really cyber related. It applies a little bit, but it's more in in life. You know, I try to do that now with my daughters. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, it's a it's a good point that you're making. Uh, and what would you say your biggest accomplishment was then? Um, so if I had to relate it to 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 cyber, it will be you know my first main project, which was deploying VPN technology back in 1999, right? Um, we, you know, we were in this company, we were ahead of the, of the game and I had to deploy VPN when it was triple desk, IPsec, you know, the client, and it was not SSL VPN. It was, to, you know, you, had, you it's a total different architecture, more technical, but, you know, that really got me extremely into security, like into the weeds, right? Like learning how to dissect stacks and, and you know, basically analyze protocols. And, and, and I think that really, and the, that project was a success, like for Y2K, we were, you know, people working from, from home remotely at that time. So it was really what kind of like, okay, I can do this. I can take on other challenges. From a personal side, I think, you know, and this, I always go back to this, raising my two daughters to be good human beings, right? I think we need more of compassion and responsible, dedicated to their passion, whatever it is, and, and having that discipline in life. Um, I will say, you know, along that line, some examples that, that you know, I try to, to inspire them is like, hey, I was able to complete my master's degree when I was at Purdue University under a full scholarship while teaching at Purdue and, and growing up, I was under, always under a negative mentality that I will not be able to accomplish much, right? Um, until one professor at Purdue changed that mindset for me and made me realize that everyone is capable of accomplishing their goals and discipline. So with discipline and determination at, at that point. So it really, that, that for me was those two events, well, three events were like, the biggest accomplishments that I still remember deep in my heart when a question like this comes up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Th- thank you for sharing that. Um, and, you know, there are, the cybersecurity, as you know, is, uh, you know, it's a booming industry. Uh, there's a huge shortage in globally, I think not just in the mm-hmm. U S market. 
and people are really i mean some people are really anxious to get into that field what advice can you give to someone who's uh, who wants to pursue a career in cybersecurity and potentially you know at some point become a chief information security officer or a global manager for that well i mean now the ace is it's very different from from when i started right i i think locally there's a lot more opportunities i mean it, people can start now i always tell people hey you can start in grc you know uh regulation compliance you know governance privacy even you know even security awareness where you don't have to you know be an expert technical person to to start getting into the industry um you can get technical in in pen testing finding a niche etc but it, in my early days where firewalls and networking were the main areas of focus right now they have so many entry options which is which is great it it you know it one thing is constant as i mentioned earlier know the business but learn how your business generates revenue and how it can lose revenue learn about the business processes finance risk management etc um these are skills that will help you but i you know uh, right now i have a, our cybersecurity administrator he's an accounting major right and he's making that transition into cybersecurity and and you know it it takes some time to learn he's learning a lot of different areas but um i have a, a friend who asked me you know recently what can i do to get because he loves the industry what you know how we are portrayed and i told him hey you're you're really good managing projects you're really good at why don't you get into grc and privacy and then start and he's now writing policies and enforcing himself to to learn in those areas which are a great need a lot of people think of oh, pen testing or application security or you know networking well there's a lot of different areas um i always say you know look for those areas that that might be a niche but there's a big need as well and 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 luckily the, the, this generation have a lot more options to get into cyber that are not strictly programming or networking or configuring a firewall or knowing linux right yeah yeah that's for sure but uh, and and you know let me just ask you a follow up question on that and this is not the right or wrong uh, answer obviously but like let's say someone is geared towards at some point becoming you know the chief security information security officer of a company would you like when you talk to them and maybe mentor them would you recommend that they start with you know as you mentioned the GRC or would you recommend anything else in particular if 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 this is their end goal would it still be GRC or would it be like whatever application security or SOC or whatever other uh, you know sector section uh that's a good follow up um i think that in this case it, it it people have to start playing to their advantages right give i'll give you my own example i i i'm not a good developer i i never like coding one thing i said i'm never going to do application security because it really it, it i don't like it right um but then i picked the areas that that i wanted to to focus in my case with network networking firewalls you know servers so depending on 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 their area of interest i think you can i know guys that are attorneys that are really good cisos right now um i know you know one of my close friends is an amazing developer and he's a, a great ciso 
um, I mean, he he learned a lot about this, all the infrastructure, and he's really good at networking, routing. I mean, um, uh, endpoint security, uh, you name it. But but he's been here, you know, for close to twenty five to thirty years. He's he can still go head to head with with the the young generation, right? It it depends on you know on on their. I know some of them that are really business oriented. That's where the GRC privacy area, you know, will help them. Risk management is an area that I never, growing up, you know, in, in this field, never really paying attention to it until probably like 10 years ago, right? Um, as I evolve in my career. So it depends on where they're coming in. Um, my friend that asked me recently, GRC privacy, because he has probably 15 years of experience, so he can bring a lot into an organization with that profile versus somebody that is in their 20s trying to break in there's there might be different areas so i think it depends on where they are coming in at mm -hmm. the time right yeah yeah and just from my personal um vantage point i would also say that that's one and the other one is probably the the type of organization that they will end up working for for you know there's a huge difference if you work for a development heavy oriented organization as opposed to uh like a more traditional organization as opposed to whatever like a company that runs data center so i think that would also play a, a part but yeah i mean i like that that answer of you know play to your advantages and capitalize on what it is that you're good with good with doing and where you where your passion lies mm -hmm. um thanks and um you know talking about i always like to get you know the vantage point of uh, the people I'm talking with around uh, the role of the CISO uh, in organization where the CISO is actually a part of the IT organizations. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you have any like uh, pros and cons that you that you can mention here? Any thoughts? Yeah. So uh, I I feel that the CIO and the CISO need each other, right? Uh, it has come to to that point, um, and it has kind of like always been. But the CIO has been there for the longer time. CISOs are, you know, I always had a CIO since the '90s. My, you know, in, in the same company that I was working in the '90s, that they called me back. We the and this is, you know, a thirty-some year old company. Their first CISO started in 2012, and we were doing heavy security for a lot of different companies. So. For me, I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, wow, you know, even though we were doing a lot of security for a lot of customers, we never really had a CISO until way late into the game, right? Um, I think they need each other. Um, we need uh, both the CIO and the CISO need to help the organization by working together. Um, I do believe the CISOs should not be reporting to the CIO and vice versa. I believe that they should be parallel um, the goals, basically, I mean, the, the goals of each other, it, it, every position has different goals. And, and they, in this case, they're very different. Um, there will be a conflict of interest if the CIO is pushing their agenda without taking the CISO's input in some cases, right? I have seen that before. Um, but, you know, you take take the last year, the last two years, you know, you, you might have the CIO say, hey, we need to enable remote workers. And the CIO wanted to do it as fast as the business demanded, but the CISO needed to make sure the risk associated were under a level that was documented, right? And accepted by the business. So I, I remember there was a lot of, hey, we need to do this faster. And the CISO was like, well, oh, you know, let's make sure everything is in place. 
Um, these are very general, but you know, I was reading a survey from McKinsey the other day that reported that organizations digital transformation has accelerated. I think something you know, like during the pandemic, seven or eight years, right? Like in 2021, which which CIOs are really pushing that digital transformation. CISOs are being known to kind of like, hey, let's let's make sure that we're doing this safety, you know, security, you know, with security in mind. So it's it's one of those things where we really need to work together and be super ingrained. Um, but they need to report, you know, if they report mm -hmm. to whoever they report, separate. When I see CISOs reporting to CIOs, there's always, you know, the agenda kind of like, you know, it doesn't get completed. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, you know, as someone who's been in this uh, industry for, I think you mentioned 24 years, uh, for a while, as you say, uh, what are the best resources that have helped you along the way in terms of, you know, learning, educating yourself or, you know, just getting ahead in the game? Uh, you know, if if I look now, I, I think networking, you know, among peers, right? Um, it's something that has been done. In my case, probably I put more emphasis in the last six or seven years. But having other CISOs, managers, even analysts, even even my my bar that I trust, and you know we have it's a trusted advisor at this point, you know allows me to analyze problems from very different angles and perspectives, right? Like like we we before COVID, and we do it every now and then now, but we used to go once a month a few CISOs from South Florida just to have lunch, and we were talk about all the issues that we have, and and I gain a lot of insights. Like oh, I never thought about it to implement it that way, even, you know, talking about policies, right? Like going to the one page policies for the users versus the legal four or five page that nobody reads or, you know, examples that were simple, but really that networking, I think it provides a lot of value because these are people suffering from your same pain points and, and they're thinking in a total different way in their organization, right? The other one it's reading, I mean, I, I think, uh, reading about the latest developments or even listening to podcasts like this one, right? Like I hope some uh, your listeners get something new out of this conversation today, but there's so many topic specific podcasts nowadays that, that you can consume and stay up to date. You know, sometimes I'm doing the dishes at home and I'm listening to a podcast, right? Cause I'm by myself and I'm saying, Oh, let me 20, 30 minute period. And it, Oh, I learned something new. So I, I, I think networking and, and keeping up to date with, podcasts, newsletters, you know, reading. I'm, I'm reading, a, I try to read a few books at the same time. The biggest problem is I never really <laughs> finish them all, but I read specific topics or specific chapters of, of the security books that I get, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, you know, a lot of uh, self-learning and a lot of networking. Did you have like a local uh, networking group of CISOs in, in your area in Florida? Yeah, we, you know, we, we, I don't, I don't know if I can mention uh, any organizations um, here, but we do through, through Avanta, for example, you know, there's, they, they do have events on a year, you know, throughout the year that really allows you to connect with different CISOs uh, from the area. Um, you know, th those are two or three key events that I try not to miss because they're really, you know, you, you catch up with people nowadays, you know, they're your friends. Um, but, 
Arvar even put one that those lunches and they re, they're really helpful in in our you know we were actually look forward to to do those lunches on one Friday a month right um Isaga it you know I am a CISM I, I try to attend those meetings um I don't go if often as often as I can but or if I would like to attend but but getting out there um it really it really helps because even for the people that are starting in the industry you know you establish connections and when they need somebody oh i i remember this guy and you know it, it opens a lot of different avenues be besides the knowledge right mm -hmm. okay thank you um now what would you say about uh common myths in our profession that you you can debunk <laughs> oh i you know th this one happened yesterday but but uh, um that and that's what i'm laughing but uh it happens all the time and it's, it's when people ask me you know what do i do and once i tell them and say almost everyone say oh so are you a hacker and i always say yes right but i explain to them that the, you know what media and, and pop culture are portraying have confused the term with someone who is doing bad things right unethical you know with the chances of doing prison time and all these bad guys um if they get caught right those are you know i always explain those are threat actors they're criminals they're not hackers and i always go back to the to the definition you know a hacker is someone who uses computers networking or any other you know knowledge that they have or skill to fix and overcome you know any technical problem right in reality you know the way i see it and I, you know if you go in linkedin or these other social networks there's a big divide you know hackers are the good guys um you you get to your black hat white hat gray hat and and you know you start explaining that to people and like oh my god i didn't know you know a simple question turns into a whole cultural uh, you know cultural thing and but i always try to emphasize that because people always say that's the first question oh so you're a hacker and say well you know i'm i'm more on the executive side now but i used to i still play and tinker with things and in order to to help fix you know so that's probably the the one common myth across my career that it keeps mm -hmm. keeps popping up. Reason being, my daughter asked me last night. I said, like, "Hey, you know, you think you could hack into the the school system for you know for a survey that they're doing?" And say, "What are they using?" Well, they're using Google Docs. And I said, "Yeah, probably you could." Okay, how? You say, "No, you're not going to do that, right?" <laughs> you, you know, you use your 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 talents for doing good things. You get cut, you're going to get in trouble. That's yeah. why I was laughing because they asked me that question last night. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I keep uh, getting being asked for similar things by my my kids, and <laughs> you know I keep explaining to them that I'm not the one who's doing those tests, and I can't really do it, and I won't do it, and it's actually illegal. So we exactly. they should they shouldn't even think about it. But anyway, um, <laughs> so you know, in your opinion, and with the transition that we're seeing for the past, uh, I would say three years, you know, with I mean, transitioning more, even more so into the cloud, into a hybrid uh, slash remote environment. What would you say are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have, like in general, not specifically in your company? I, I think in general, and even talking to other CISOs is, is the growing attack surface, right? And, and not knowing what your inventory really is at the moment. And, 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 and you know, you can, you can dissect it with all you know all the frameworks 
no matter how, you know, any cybersecurity framework, the, the CIS controls, they start with identification and inventory of hardware, software, your systems, but not a lot of companies have this, right? And in it, in the last, you know, since the pandemic, you know, it, it, my daughters were connecting with their Chromebook and my wife was connecting with her Mac and, you know, like, and, and those were owned by us. They're not controlled. So, you know, I was always asking, hey, did, did they install an endpoint? So what is that? Okay, you know, they, we need to make sure that you're not causing anything on, because I'm not monitoring everything that they're doing. So I think, you know, and we have seen it in our company where that growing attack surface kind of like got a little bit out of control. And, and, and now with, I think, OT coming into place and there's a lot of IOTs within the OT environment or building management systems that are conflicting in the network. And, you know, I think not knowing that it's it's one of the main concerns from what I have heard. Supply chain attacks, you know, and third-party risks is another one that due to the, you know, uh, like I said, yes, before the uh, that acceleration in the digitalization that took place in the last few years have increased that risk, right? Um, and, and the list the, that to many companies, most of the time it's the undocumented, you know, yeah. engagement that they have with, with this vendor and nobody knew about it. Um, we have been victims of that too. So mm-hmm. I, I will summarize it in those two based on what happens in the last two years. So. Yeah. And, um, you know, talking about uh, shifting gears and talking a bit about the role of a CISO going forward. And I know you mentioned that uh, at the beginning of our call that this is mostly a business uh, function nowadays. But in your opinion, what are the most important skills that CISOs nowadays should have? Um, I, 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 like I said, communicating the business value of cybersecurity and IT to other executives and even, you know, directors and managers. I, I think we need to be able to present evidence-based facts in, in, in which almost everyone can agree on, you know, the answer to the, oh, what is our, what is the value that cybersecurity is put into the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we we need to be, uh, the, one of the, those things, it goes hand in hand, be, be a translator of our metrics into the business and how we impact that business Portion, you know, it can be HR, it can be sales, it can be, you know, operations, manufacturing, and and get other executives to care, understand, and 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 kind of like eliminate that very famous. So what, you know, it's security. You know, we don't care about that. We care about the the sales and the production, um, and be able to to really articulate the trade-offs and decisions that the executives and stakeholders are facing at the moment, and, and provide an answer to. You know, kind of like go more in into forget about our technical and KPI metrics that 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 have been doing the heavy lifting for us, and 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 more. You know, instead of continuing to report numbers, you know, we need to start driving action into the business. And 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 I, it's not as easy as it sounds, but you know that that communication takes time. You really need to know what the other party is doing and what their goals, and listen first in order to make sure that you document the risk, they understand it and, and they it, it's a smooth transition into selling what you have to offer to, to, to the business. Yeah, and you know, you also mentioned before that when you started, um, 
you know, being a CISO or being in, in information security was mostly around, you know, securing firewalls, maybe hardening uh, some devices and all that stuff. Looking into the future, like let's say five years, 10 years into the future, where, where do you think, like, you know, looking back at what it used to be, looking at the present, what it is now, what do you think this position would look like in like five years from now? The, 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 the CISO, CISO, CISO position. The CISO position? Yeah. Um, and this is something I have seen even in my in my case and and some of the people that I know it become more of a business you know increase your business acumen right I, I keep going back to that because it it I run into into some close friends that are are coming on and say hey man they're not listening to me and I say okay share that presentation with me it's like yeah because you're talking a total different language you have to. You know, you have to learn the business language and how you do that translation. It's it, that communication is very, very important to get your program across to the other executives and and educate them. Since we are in reality, we're the newest kids on the on the table, right? Um, we it, it's the CISO. It, it's still evolving that position. I think it's been demanded more. You know, you have the SEC demanding more presence. The governments are demanding more presence. So it it's building up. But if if something that I have taken upon myself it's to to learn more about the business and 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 the security side I know but how do we do that communication we're I think we're finally heading to that the right direction and it has taken way too many years to to, to get to this point but but seeing more CISOs at the board is it's a very positive trend it just we need to be able to talk the language because if, if we don't get invited it's because they don't understand us and they're gonna keep doing the same thing. I I, th I think that's a that's a key factor into how successful this role is gonna be in the next five to ten years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, and in your opinion, I know you we have already covered like what you think, like the the domains you think CISO should be focused on. We've covered where this role is going. In your opinion, what will we see in this space next, in the cybersecurity space next? Um, what I I have seen, not only our company, and, and remember I have six different business units and every business unit is like their own company in our case, right? Um, but I've seen that across the board and with with other CISOs, it's it's more of a security vendor consolidation, right? And not, and not only because of the financial aspect of it, but also because of a combination of you know that, that expanding attack surface, that increased number of vendors in the space. I mean, I, I think it's I never uh, the, the amount of vendors and requests I get on a daily basis. It's 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 out of control in my opinion because <laughs> you get so many people doing the same thing. It's like, oh, how do I trust? Who's doing what, right? Um, but uh, you know, to make it easier to fill, even to fill those gaps that you were referring to at the beginning of, of you know, acquiring the right talent and retaining the right talent. You know, I, I think a lot of companies are doing that, that you know, vendor consolidation in order to reduce those gaps and and transition into as a service subscription models. It's something that we've been seeing trending. Um, I think it's becoming more accepted, and and you know the the, the the vendors are are doing a good job and and adapting to it but overall you know at the end it's it's that vendor consolidation if you base it on a framework it's it's going to save you a lot of time money and and you're going to have a, 
a better security posture, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and we've already, you know, and a lot of vendors are consolidating themselves, right, with the true mm -hmm. acquisition mergers and acquisitions. Um, yeah. Um, so I just had a couple more questions before we can wrap this uh, episode up for today. Um, one, just as a follow-up on my la last question, and uh, what would you define as innovation in our space? Is it more along the lines of, like, as you mentioned, you know, vendor consolidation, or is it more along the lines of whatever, like a new technology, new architecture, new offering, whatever you can think of? So in my case, um, a, a game changer for my specific situation, it's the, you know, we having MDR, you know, managed detection and response vendors become more vendor agnostic, right? Before you will go to company A and they say, yeah, we only support these EDRs or we only support these different technologies. Nowadays, you know, the, the, the provider that we have through APIs and through different integrations, you know, we can monitor pretty much every, I have six different business units that we're monitoring all of them are different. Some of them have different EDRs and some of them have different technologies fitting that telemetry into that main platform. So uh, the the previous provider, we were limited into what we could fit because they were like a box structure. Now becoming more vendor agnostic in that sense, it's really, it allows me to really deploy a better service for, for you know, I, I see my business units as my customers but at the same time, get better coverage and making sure that I'm not losing something. For me, in my case that, you know, you have all these AI and all these other new terms that, you know, come along, zero trust network architecture has been there, I think since the nineties, the way I see it, it's network segmentation and segmentation. But, um, you know, I, I think in my case, that's one of the, the biggest game changers and, and it's actually taking off now where I've been in quite a few meetings and people ask me, oh, you know, what are you, I have these issues. Like, well, you need to find somebody that will fit as much as, as from the different technologies that you have. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll see a different in how you put that incidents in that case together. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, a couple of questions about vendors. I know you mentioned, you know, that the amount, the sheer amount of uh, vendor requests and uh, reach outs that you're getting a day is ridiculous. Uh, what, like, in your in your mind, what would be a good way for a vendor to reach out to you, if at all? I can tell you what's the worst one first, which is <laughs> yeah. through through um, you know. <laughs> I, I don't like cold calling because I don't know who's on the other side, and they always pretend to be your friend. And oh, Eduardo, how are you? It's like no, uh, like who are you? And and I think we're paranoid from from you know from being in this field, but. I, I always say, and I, I actually sit down with some, and I can tell when somebody's new on the field and their, you know, business development, they say, listen, find out by doing your own research, even reach out to the VARs and find out which VAR I'm using. If I'm using two or three, you have, I know you have that direct communication. Find out if there's really a need in, in our program for your product, right? Um, and even if you call me, ask me if I'm looking for a solution for whatever problem you are trying to solve. If I say no, then, you know, don't ask for a 15-minute call. So a lot of times I say no, 
and say, oh yeah, but let's set up a 15 minute call. And I say, well, I really, I have already that area covered. So my advice will be, you know, listen first. And then if we have to put a meeting together, I, I even have an agenda of a 30 minute meeting where, you know, the first three minutes are introductions. Then you go into, you know, the next 15 to 17 minutes are, you know, explaining the solution. How is it different from, the others in the same market, you know, I, and I send them my agenda. I say, hey, if you stick to this agenda, I think we're going to get the best benefit, right? A quick demo of the solution if we need to determine if it's a good fit for our company or for one of our business unit. Um, I always ask to bring budget figures of approximate cost based on scenarios because that would really, you know, if the outcomes are good and there's alignment, you know, then we can discuss timelines, a possible POC. If they're not alignment, I tell them, hey, listen, it'd be, you know, good to learn about the product, but this doesn't fit our needs because of X, Y, Z. And I try to be as blank as possible with with my vendors in order to save them time and, and my time, right? Um, I, I think doing a little bit of research and listening, it it it, it pays them dividends. The, the people that listen to me, I say, okay, we're now establishing trust. And and it's it's sometimes they want to get that 15 minute call without knowing if I really need the product, which is most of the the, the time, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, that'll be my advice. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Yeah, I'm 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 just thinking because you know I've I've been been hearing that a lot lately. But what is it that you are looking for in a vendor? Maybe you can you know talk about um, a use case without mentioning any names or. Unless you want to, I mean, I don't mind. <laughs> no, uh, that, like I said, that they listen before selling. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, and I, and I even expressed this to 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 our bar, which I we have a really good relationship. And the new guys, I say, listen, when you sit down, listen. That's that should be eighty percent of your conversation. Listening to your customer, listening to their pain points, ask very key questions that will bring you a lot of information. And, you know, because really in this industry, and it's not only my opinion, a lot of people I know, it's like, you really need to be able to trust them before you do any business, right? And, and that's the way I see it. They, when the vendor is not listening to you, then you know that they don't have the best, you know, interest on your behalf, right? And there's no trust from my side. But believe it or not, I see a lot where, where I, I say, no, I just said this, and they keep going with their agenda. And I say, you know, let's let's step back. This is what I just explained to you. Do you think you can solve that problem for me? And they keep deviating to another agenda. And I was like, okay, well, I don't think we're talking the same language. And kind of like that was your 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 choice. Let's move on. But I think listening, and which is something I'm still learning myself a, a lot of times, it's you know listening before selling. It's 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 it really gonna help them to even you know I, I'm not gonna mention names but I have vendors that I met their sales rep, rep and and very nice guy we established trust it was not a fit for us they moved to another company they reached out to me I already know them now it's a fit it's an easy sell because I already have that relationship with with you know and you know in this industry they move around a lot so. It, it's really establishing that trust where if they listen and they know what your pain points are, they, they can customize their solutions in a better way. I, I even have vendors that say, no, I'm not the right one for you. You should look at this product. That vendor for me gave me a lot of value 
I said, I'm going to keep you in mind because what you did, you know, you don't see it very often. And there's only a few that I have encountered like that. But for me, those are through salespeople. It's like, okay, not, I'm not going to be able to solve it the way you want it. But these other people, which might be their competitors, they're going to be in a better position. Not everyone does that. But I know that person has the best interest on my behalf, right? Mm -hmm. Got it. Well, you know, before we wrap this up, uh, can you mention any any other people that were influential to you throughout your journey, uh, mentors, colleagues, friends that you wanted to mention? <laughs> I always, uh, my, my first boss ever, you know, uh, his name is Art Penn. He, you know, I'll, I'll probably, you know, send him a copy of this podcast because I'm, I'm mentioning him, but he was, he was an amazing leader and, and build an amazing team environment, you know, back in the nineties. Um, I, I did learn a lot from him. Um, he, even his boss, which, uh, passed away years ago, but uh, Tracy Sean, I mean, he, who I remember I'm going back in memory lane. Those those two mentors early in my career were were really good. I mean, I always try to look up to people that I know versus, you know, some fictitious, you know, uh, influencer or whatever, however you want to call it these days. You know, I was like, okay, these people really made a difference in, in and they trust me, right, when I was starting. So um, another one that, you know, people take for granted is my core group of friends. You know, they're, they're people that I look up to in many different aspects of, of not only business, but mostly in the life skills that, you know, that no school degree or experience will, will ever teach you. And I think you always have to, you're, I, I have, we have a core group of, of people that I look up to. We get together a lot, but I, every time we get together, we learn, even if it's to get, you know, try a new single malt or, you know, talk about any, you know, they're in total different business, but I learned so much from what, their experiences are and they're you know mostly successful people and i always say you you have to up your friends and 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 it really motivates me to to be a better person even as a father you know like we always share all those experiences mm -hmm. yeah for sure what's the best way to connect with you then online i mean i don't mind um via my bar is a lot of, of, of you know companies come through my bar um, because I, I have really, really good relationship with them, um, and, and the trust is there. Um, but LinkedIn is not a bad one as long as, you know, the, the one thing about LinkedIn is like you get a request and then like two minutes later, then you, oh, let's meet for 15 minutes. Like, okay, you know, who are you? Let's, what I, I don't even know even what they do or, or, you know, so sometimes they, they do that jump right away. I have relationships on LinkedIn that have led to to you know a, a, a business relationship because they took the time it's like hey you know this is what i'm doing you know do you think you have a need or or you know if you can give me some feedback and we start very soft but it's like oh you know and it's like can you help me with this or looking for advice and there'll be a business relationship down the road right i think mm -hmm. putting time but linkedin when when they send that bot email right like two minutes after it's like okay you know you kind of like stay away from those ones. The yeah. best way not to connect is through cold calls. I really, because I don't know who is on the other side. Yeah. So. Okay. Thank you. And a final question before we wrap this up for today. Uh, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? 
Oh, wow. Um, you know, my, my wife and, and um, friends always say that, that I'm always trying to help other people. Um, and, and I do get a lot of satisfaction of helping people without expecting anything back. So I, I will set up a few organizations to, to help kids that are in foster homes or kids that have been victims of abuse or, you know, any type of, of trauma in their early life and, and establish probably, you know, educational grants for students that have the potential to make a difference in life but are not able to do it given whatever specific circumstances they suffer when they were younger. So I always, you know, I always say, yeah, you know, if, if I were to do something to make a difference, will be, will be this, right? Like helping others that have been not fortunate enough to, to, to move on in life. So I, I, I think that will be my, my best answer. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a, it's a very good answer. Thank you for that. And I think with that, uh, I what's left for me is just to thank you for, again, taking some time out of your calendar and being very open and candid in our conversation today and sharing you, your insights and, uh, and comments. Uh, I'm hoping your answers would resonate with, you know, a lot of our listeners. Uh, yeah, and just, you know, thank you. Eduardo, anything you wanted to add? No, thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I really do hope that you know people. Well, uh, this uh, I don't know how many minutes have been we've been on it, but you know this conversation provides some value to your listeners, and and you know don't do not be afraid to reach out to me through LinkedIn. Um, I'm always available. So thanks very much for for your time and for putting the podcast together. It's uh, it, it every little bit of 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 knowledge and help in this industry will help the, the younger generation. So I'm glad to do it. Appreciate yeah. your invite. Yeah, I appreciate your taking that. Thank you again. See you, see you later. See, okay, nice.